What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, we're officially one day from UFC 289, and coming up on today's program, I'm going to preview the Vancouver card and the people's main event between DeRouche and Charles Oliver. Plus, what's going to happen if Amanda Nunes loses to Aldana? And good news, Chris Whiteman is back. Lots to get to on today's show, everyone. Let's begin here. Henry Cejudo! Triple C came out and he was talking about Chandler versus McGregor. Henry said, I could see the UFC skipping Chandler for Connor's next fight. He just isn't there yet. He just isn't a big star. Talking about Chandler, end quote. I can't openly say that Henry is incorrect that that fight isn't going to happen, but I would I would disagree. I don't have any feel or sense that because of the opponent, in this case, Michael Chandler, that there's a motivation to find somebody else. I do believe it's Chandler or bust. I believe. I don't think they're going to move him over here and find somebody else for McGregor and... I'm also not sure that Henry is right about his statement about Michael Chandler, but there would be a perception of that to a degree if you're doing this on the curve. If you want to talk about guys that can draw and guys that are stars and that have big fan bases and the audience is going to recognize, be invested in, and care about, Chandler is as good as you're going to find unless you do it on a curve, which is McGregor number one. Then everybody looks. If that's your comparison, everybody Look small. So I like the topic, though. I like the topic of of Chandler versus McGregor. I had a a, a piece that I deemed to be very funny. I was gonna call it "Ask a Five Year Old," right? I had my daughter Priya. I was doing this on the handheld. I was asking Quinn that I put the camera on her, and I was just simply asking her, "Is?" Chandler and McGregor going to fight. Does it feel as though McGregor and Chandler are going to fight? Is there any fight in history that has been built like Chandler or McGregor? That has felt like Chandler and McGregor? Where the steps and the ingredients in the recipe that then finally lead you to a fight have been followed in the order that they're currently being followed? I had all these questions. I put the camera on her and she would say no, right? It was going to be called Ask a Five-Year-Old. But even a five-year-old can see this fight is not... You fill in the blank. I'll repeat the statement. Even a five-year-old can see this fight is not booked, scheduled, believed, planned. What, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What, what word would you put there? And I realize that I'm now Captain Obvious, but I'm the one that brought you this before anybody else. Nobody came to you guys getting ready. These two are facing off and there's they're some... some, some Media scrum, and there's some footage that leaked out, and they touched each other, and we're, we're building this, and we're talking about that, and there's rumors of November, December. I got in front of all of that, and I told you guys, hey, this nothing about this feels like this fight is going to happen. And so so I get where today, you're going, geez, Chiel, that's a little redundant. I've heard other guys say it. Yeah, you've heard other guys take what I said and say it and not credit me. That's what you've heard. But I stay on the topic because it appears the one person that doesn't understand this is Chandler. It, it really does appear 
that Chandler is not looking at the pieces here. I mean, guys, don't forget, if Usada's right, which I'm hoping that fight happens, it, it, it looks as though it's not going to happen, but boy, I want it to. But let's say that Usada prevails. So the fight is six months away. I mean, at some point, Michael Chandler's going to go, hey, look, I got no problem with the Connor fight. I got no problem. We're doing the thing and the ultimate fire. We got this competition. We're doing the back and forth. I have no problem with any of that. But in a best case scenario, this is six months. So give me somebody else. You could book Chandler, do a press conference for Chandler, do media shoots, do the fight, do the training camp. You could do everything, have time to rest, and redo it again for the Connor fight within six months. So at, at some point, that's what Chandler's going to have to call for. At some point, you're like, hey guys, what's going on here? Do we feel that booking me is, is going to hurt the current interest that we had, that it's, it's going to draw away from uh, the competition and the reality of the program? Is that, is that so we're going to wait till this is over to give me the reveal that it's not going to happen and give me another opponent? I mean, at some point, he's going to know. BS. Let's get creative enough to tell the story and make it part of it to build the other interest. And we have uncreative people here at the table. We're not going to be able to do that. It's going to seem as though it draws down from this. If we have a creative element, everybody wants to pay, right? Everybody wants to give their boxing coach 10%. They want a strength and conditioning coach, whatever that even means. But they would give him 10%. Then you got a nutritionist. So the best I can tell tells you what to eat and maybe even informs you when you're hungry. I'm not sure. Maybe you want to pay him some money. But nobody has a creative element on their team. I know guys that have lawyers. I know guys for reasons that I'll never understand that have PR. Within the management company, they have PR. The management company that oversees fighters that work for a company that's got PR, right? I know, I, there's just things that I don't understand. But while I continue to understand, nobody writes a check to a creative arm. You could call me, well, hey, okay. We got Chandler versus McGregor going on the ultimate fighter right now. It's right now, and we got 10 weeks left. Chandler and McGregor aren't going to fight. We don't know if McGregor is ever going to fight again, but boy, Chandler, this is what he does for a living, and he sure done a great job creating all this stuff for us, and this is going to be a heartbreaking move for him. I would hate to add keeping information or opportunity from him because this is still there. I would hate to do that. I'm willing to do it, but I would hate to do it. But there's no way that I can give him an opponent or reveal this to him without damaging this. Well, that's true. That is really true unless you call Chael. I will patch that boat together so fast, it'll be the greatest steroid shot in the ass to this entity you've ever had. But I am a creative person. I understand this is storytelling. But I also understand how one story can help to embellish the story of another, and most people don't. There has been movies, guys, movies, big, big draws. Well, in the process of filming, one of the characters, one of the actors died. Very serious stuff, but they died. And a lot of those movies have been scrapped. They never saw the light of day. Wouldn't matter if they lost 20, 30 million, whatever it was, they got to move on. And it wasn't out of some kind of sympathy, like it was wrong to go on with the show. It, it was none of that. They didn't have a creative element that could explain this to the audience and remove a character who, according to the initial script, has 
three weeks left to film it. They just didn't have the ability to do it. You have other movies where that exact same thing happened and they finished it. But they had creative people that knew how to do it. And every time we talk about Chandler and McGregor, that is far more my bigger thought, which is how long is Chandler going to play along? At what point? But, but at what point does it not matter? I mean, you got to understand, Chandler gets a call four months ago. You're going to fight McGregor. Great. And then every step along the way where Chandler hears people like me come out and say, it doesn't look like Chandler's going to be fighting McGregor. So he makes a phone call. Hey, is this on? I'm hearing things. And whoever that voice is, is telling him, yeah. Yeah, it sure is. How would Chael know, right? But the most important thing that you have in a contract is the date. If you have a contract, guys, and you don't have a date, you don't have a contract. Just so you understand. If I tell you right now, as a man of my word, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. And then you give me the follow-up of when, and that's where I reveal. I'm going to give that to you at the rate of a penny a year for the next hundred billion years. I mean, do you see where it gets weird? The date is what matters. It is the most important thing. Not the initials or the signatures, it's, it's the date. So if that was something that Chandler accepted four months ago, three months ago, whenever this was, but it's something that he still accepts today, it, well, it's, it's the date that matters. That might have been three months ago. That might have been a That might have been two months. It might have been a month ago. Apparently, it still is today. Fair enough. But what about next month? What about the month after that? What about the month? Like, at what point does the date matter? If you're going to get a fight with McGregor that you think is worth waiting for, how long is it worth to wait? Is it worth waiting until March of next year? And it's, it's, it's one of those pieces where the fighter and the fighter's manager so often can't just look at, they can't just look at what right in front of, it's right in front of them. They're going to make a phone call and try, you don't always have to do that. There's information out there that you have access to. It's not a matter of, boom, Connor enters the pool. All right, great. Great. And we're six months away. I know that because Usada said it. We're six, why would it be six months away if he entered the pool? That has never been the agreement. Ever. I, I've read media members that have told you that, but that's, that's not what they've been told. Connor was to enter the pool today, per Usada, who we don't even know is right. There would be six months. Okay, great. That's a piece of evidence. But this would require, for deduction reasons, further research. And you'd have to get out a calendar, which can be done on a .com, right at your fingertips. And then you'd have to look for dates. There is not a date six months from today. If Connor went in the pool today, so we all go, okay, it's six months away. There's not a show in six months, just so you know. There's a show in six months and two weeks. Okay, great. That's close enough. Well, no, not so fast because... That's free TV. The next pay-per-view is seven months. Okay, great. Seven months, six months. Man, we're, we're saying the same thing. Let's get the training camp. No, no not so fast. So that's a broadcasting deal that's been released through Australia, and Izzy Adesanya has been promised at the top of the bill. So that is spoken for. Okay, great. When's the next day? Well, it's another month. Okay, eight months away. That's fine. Six, seven, eight. We're, we're saying the same thing. Let's do it. Well, 
No, no, you're not following along, Sandhagen. That date is going to fight Island, and Chemayev has already been announced to the locals as the feature act. Okay, great, Chael. What are you telling me? When's the next available pay-per-view? Well, I, I don't I don't really don't know what goes on behind the scenes. It's actually really hard to gather information. But based on the very difficult information that I have been able to gather, you couldn't get in the ring, best case scenario, for nine months. And you don't have to make a phone call to find this out. You don't have to do any of these things. You just gotta not be a sandhagen. You gotta be able to look at what's right in front of you. Now, several of the examples I just laid out for you were to prove a point. Th those were not exact examples, just so you know. Chemayev has not been promised at the top of the fight of the bill. I'm adding things just to share for you that the myth of the idea that if Connor enters the day, they fight in six months, that is a myth of an idea. That is a deduction made based on various statements that you heard, but they don't align with reality. And at some point, that stuff's everything I've said here is okay. It's not a problem. At some point in this story, though, Chandler's going to have to look at this. And he's going to have to say, man, my, my best days are burning right in front of me. And he can either say, I'm okay with that. I've actually wanted to slow down. This, I'm right where I want to be. That would be information that I don't have. When I came and talked to you guys and I sat down and I talked about how long is Chandler going to play along? If this is what Chandler wants, that's a piece of information that I don't have. I, fair enough. But there is another side to it, which is if we're going to give the reveal to Michael Chandler, we're just going to wait until the last day of airing for this, but we already have the information. Now. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it would seem paramount to you. It would seem important to protect. It, it would. If you're not a creative person. Some movies have the star die. They eat the money and they don't finish it. Other people confronted with the exact same thing and they use it to make a blockbuster hit. You have the creativity to do it or you don't. There's some realities that we just don't want to face, and particularly in this sport. I mean, I see that more in this sport because I'm involved. It's a large part of my day. It's a passion. I enjoy it. But I'll see many things in life through the lens of MMA. And it's very helpful. I got to tell you, it's very helpful if you can observe. I, I, athletes go brain dead. I get asked in the capacity to come in and speak to teams, like speak to athletes. More than I get, I used to get asked to come in and show technique and work on these different things. But when I come in and talk to them, I will always tell the wrestlers, all right, the hardest working group out there, hardest working group in the world. For any of you that wrestled, you know that and you have a pride in what I just said. And for any of that you didn't, the reason you didn't is because it was hard and you knew it. Tell the truth. That's what it was. You might have blamed it on a singlet or you might have blamed it on it was the same season as basketball. The reason you didn't wrestle is you saw it and you observed it and it was harder than what you wanted to do. That's just the truth. And I will see wrestlers go brain dead when the sport's done. See it all the time. 
I don't have very many heroes from the sport of wrestling that are now my heroes today. I've got a couple, but not very many. It didn't work out well. They went brain dead. They learned in the sport to sacrifice and work hard. And it's, but as soon as the sport was done, they forgot about hard work and sacrifice. They learned to set goals and to be disciplined. But as soon as they were done with the sport, they forgot about the power and goal setting. And they forgot about the need for discipline. But had they taken that with them into any other profession, anything out there, it would have been easy compared to what they were used to. Going without food for days, going without water for days. That kind of training, the stress, walking out there one-on-one, -on -one, the things that you learn from that, everything else in life is easy. There is nothing that is comparable. There is no laborish job, there is no office job that could possibly compare to the self-torture and mental requirements that it took to do that sport. But as soon as the sport's done, the whole reason your parents got you into it, the whole reason you were encouraged to do it in the first place, they forget and they go brain dead. And I share that with you because there is a very fascinating piece of psychology that you could take with you to any industry if you just follow the timeline of MMA. In 1993, when the Gracies started this thing, they thought they would take Aikido and put it with Judo, and they would take boxing and put it against Jeet Kune Do. They thought they would do this and just keep going through the arts and disciplines, and their arenas would be full of Aikido supporters, and the boxing supporters, and the wrestling supporters, and the Kav McGraw. This is what they thought. But it was after the very first night in Birmingham, Alabama, that their focus towards those markets was gone because they realized it's a waste of time and money. And the opposite reaction, psychologically, is what came from the viewer. The exact opposite. They thought if karate goes out there and gets exposed, karate is going to want that. They're going to figure out what the problem was. They're going to work on different techniques. They're going to bring it back to their gym, incorporate it through their system, and put another representative forward. That's what they thought would happen. It was the opposite. These martial arts gyms that have influence over their students feared, we're not going to keep getting their money each month if the world finds out this doesn't work. So they told their students, I mean, in the snap of a fingers, not three months later, not a year later, they figured this out that night. They told their students, we don't put our best out there. And when we do put a representative, we make sure he holds back because our skills are so dangerous. We had them hold back the real skills because that is a sport and what we do could take a life. Oh, oh, and furthermore, don't even watch that. We don't even want you to watch it. They told their students to not read the magazines, not go to the dot-coms, not go to the event, not buy it or rent it on the Blockbuster shelf when it came out two months later. It was the exact opposite of what the sport thought they were going to get. And... I, I bring that with you because as clear as things should be, they still aren't with anyone. You're not going to get anyone 
to agree that we have learned or proved anything in the ultimate proving ground known as the octagon. Nobody is going to agree. Let me give you a great example. I read a piece by Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman, I'm fascinated with Chris's comeback because I think of myself as a tough guy that could handle anything. No matter what the pressure or what you brought me, I'll deal with it. This is tough. I'm tougher. I think of myself like that, but I haven't been in all those situations. I haven't been confronted with everything. I think I would deal with it in a certain way. And so, so when I see Chris Weidman, a champion of the world who's going to go into the Hall of Fame, who doesn't need to be out there. He's got the money. He's got the experience. He's, he doesn't need to be out there. He's trying to prove something to himself because he was very catastrophically injured. Coming back from an injury like this is so rare. There, there, there's a very small pool. Like there was nobody that Chris reached out to that mentored him in this process because he doesn't know anyone who's ever gone through this process. There is 10 people on the face of the planet, if that, who had an injury to this degree and who came back to a sport at this level. 10 is a, is a gross embellishment by me. I just want to make sure that I'm right. So I'm just th I'm throwing a big number like 10 out there. So it's a, it's a really unique spot. And Chris Weidman came out and he said, hey, when I start this fight with Brad Tavares, I'm going to throw the hardest kick I've ever thrown in my life. But then he said why he's going to do that. And said right where it's going to land. Right in the most dangerous spot, right up there on that, on that thigh bone. And the reason for that is if you raise it and block, you have happened to him what he's going through now, which, by the way, was karma in many ways because he is the one that did the block and did that to Anderson Silva so many years ago, right? It was the exact same move that he won, or at least defended a world championship on, I should say, that put him on the injury list to start with. So it's an interesting spot, and Chris is revealing for us that for his psyche and for his mindset, he's scared of that. I am scared. I have a fear of how my leg is going to hold up. What is going to happen? What would happen to my leg if I did this? So that's exactly what I'm going to go do. And I don't have any reason not to believe him. Like this is such a mental and physical test that Weidman is up against. It, it, it is so massive. And I, I just hope the community and the arena that specific night, this is going to be on the East Coast, guys his home. I hope that the arena that night understands when his music hits and he's coming out ready to be stood up at the gates of hell. I hope that they realize the, the actual battle that's going on here, which has nothing to do with the unified scoring system in, in the free formats. Okay. In the world of the no holds barred. That's not, that's not what his fight is. And Talk about, I'm going to go out, I'm going to throw this. I'm going to go and do the hardest thing. I'll just share with you, as I tie this back to, we don't agree on anything and nobody's ever proved anything. I'll make a statement for you. It's going to piss so many people off. It won't make the statement any less true. If they took kicks out of MMA, if kicks became illegal, if kicks were banned, there is not one champion today that isn't still a champion. And there isn't one champion throughout history that would have been affected. There isn't anybody else that would have become champion if kicks were allowed, and there's not anybody else that was champion that wouldn't be champion if kicks were allowed. You could take them out completely. You won't get people to agree, oh, kicks are so important. I come here, and I come here, and I got this friend, and he, he, he kick you all the way to the head. 
if you never did kicks again, it doesn't matter. That would have been my opinion if I were Chris Weidman. I'd be thinking, why as a, as a world champion fighter and as an all-American wrestler, why am I throwing kicks in the first place? Kicks are important to learn. They're much like arm bars. Arm bars don't work either. You're never going to see somebody going to, oh, look at my arm bar. Oh, look at, look at my Kimura, right? Last time a Kimura happened was actually three weeks ago with Emelianenko in Russia, and people said that it was a worked fight. I thought it was too. There's no other explanation for how a Kimura would work other than a fixed fight. But it's really important, right? As I say that to you, if I was to enter my son into this sport, I'm going to have him work on arm bars. They are completely non-effective. If they became banned, it doesn't affect our sport. No one in the top 10 rankings would change positions or be knocked out of the top 10. You could take them away, much like you could do kicks. But you do have to have an experience with it. You got you to you know how to stop them. You just do. And there's something similar with kicks. Like there's an element where you do need to understand kicks and range. And you don't even need to check one. You could do the Diaz. But you must throw a straight right down the middle. And that's a body reaction. And that's going to take time. But once you get that, kicks just simply don't matter. I mean, I'm just here to tell you that. Like, why do I want to go out and throw a kick? I would have thought he came to a different conclusion, which is, why did I throw the kick in the first place? Matter of fact, why did anybody even ever show me a kick? Matter of fact, what is the history of kicks? Because I went down, but I should have known about this more than anybody, considering I'm the one that did it to the world and stopped the spider doing it. I mean, it, it, it was just one of those, those spots. And then you go look, okay, well, let's go look at kickboxing. They use the word kick right in their title. Kickboxing, quit using kicks because kicks are so ineffective that kickboxing had to come in with a rule that requires you to throw three kicks per round. Because when given the option, people that throw, I mean, I, I just say to you, I, I would have thought that Chris would have come to a different opinion. And you want to know what else? But before you little kickers, you little, oh, I kicked the guy. But before you get your little feelers hurt, which I'm sure I'm already there, there's no move that if you took out of the sport changes our sport at all. I say that as a reservoir, our most effective technique is a double leg. George St. Pierre never won a fight where he did not hit the opponent with a double leg. That's a literal statement. If double legs were illegal, George St. Pierre is still the GOAT. No champion ceases to be champion. Nobody in the top 10 loses their ranking. There, there is nothing, nothing in our sport that you couldn't change or adapt. If the rounds went from five minutes to two, if the rounds went from five of them to one, there's nothing within our sport where any of the champions wouldn't be champions if that rule wasn't there, or anybody at the top. Now, I'm not talking about an also-ran. I'm not talking about a guy down at the dog park who just had, oh, I mean, he just he just has to throw kicks. I'm not talking about that. But on the high level, on the elite level, it wouldn't change a single thing. And I don't know that I want Weidman to go out and throw the kick. I want Weidman to come to a different conclusion. I want him to come to a conclusion that the risk is not worth the reward. The damage done to me by throwing the kick. Okay, great. But let's say that Uriah did not check the kick. Let's say the kick landed exactly the way I wanted it to. Uriah Hall is not hurt. Uriah Hall is not on a stretcher. Uriah Hall does not miss two years of his career. And do you see the problem? If, if the technique lands perfectly and my opponent is fine, if the technique malfunctions... 
I'm in the emergency room. Do you, do you see? And, and I would, I would hope that would be the deduction. That's what I would hope. I will show my son some kicks just by example. I will show him so he understands. I will then tell him the truth. Hey, son, don't ever do these because they really don't work. UFC 289 is sure to pack a punch. Guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code CHAIL. Here's the deal. All new customers, you can make a $5 UFC 289 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Use code CHAIL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org in New York. Call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y to number 467-369 in Kansas. Call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort Kansas. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut. Help is available for gambling problem. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash MMA terms. I will be the first to advocate for you. You have to be careful what you let into your bubble. Some could call that brainwashing. Some could call that delusion. It's also important and it's effective. So in the case of the topic that we're talking about today, in the world of athletes, if something has happened to you that throws everything off that you need to be true for you to reach your goal, sometimes you got to throw it out like it never happened. Like it absolutely never happened. I I had this, I say this to be very respectful of my opponent, Damian Maya. But I had a match with Damian Maya, who was smaller for the division. And he didn't have a lot of experience within the sport of MMA. And even the four or five matches that he did had, he submitted everybody. So he didn't get a whole bunch of minutes in. He wasn't a main event and a highest pay guy. I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing for you. I really needed to win that fight. I really needed to win that fight. I just beat the number one guy in the world. I just beat a guy who would crush him. I got to win this fight. And being stronger than him, being bigger than him, being more experienced than him. It wasn't just that he got his hand raised. There was nothing... In those couple of minutes that we were out there, there was nothing that was competitive from my standpoint. 
Like we didn't go to the ground because I was fighting him with the jab and slipping inside. It, it was none of it was there was nothing about that that I could take with me down my journey. And there was nothing about that that if I accepted as real that I could continue to keep the dream of being the world champion. It was a problem. That night, that experience in those minutes, if those are real, if that is a reality, then me in this sport with championship dreams isn't going to happen. So it was tough. It was one of these spots. And the only thing that I could do the only thing is to block it from it ever. I have to be reminded that I fought Damian Maya. I've had people ask me about my, oh my God, I enjoyed his career. I watched him. I saw him do all these. I forget that I'm part of it. You've got to know what to block out. I'm a supporter of that. That's my only point. So I don't give a guy a hard time. I know that it's important, but there's rules to it. If you're going to play that game, there's rules to it to keep yourself in check. Charles Oliveira had nothing competitive in his fight with Islam Makhachev. There was not a redeeming quality. You know, you have a fight just by example. Boom, you know, my left hand, he was having a hard time. Boom, boom, my left hand, right? It's, it's one of these spots. But because you were irritating him so much, he switched something up. And it, it was that something that gave you the problem. So you come away... With now a correction to his correction, and you think if you do it again, you can keep him in the spot, right? It's, it's one of these things. There was none of those things within the fight. There wasn't a left hand, a right hand, a left leg, a right leg, a double leg, a defense, a uma palata, a go, go right down. Who's more tired than who? Who's breathing hard? Who's fatiguing? Who's... There was nothing about Charles's performance that if you did it again and took that one good thing and sprinkled a little exponential by five factor that would lead anybody to think that you're going to get a different outcome. So Charles has come out and said, that wasn't me. And he hasn't offered us anything else. So that wasn't me that night. And I'm well aware of the off-night response. The it wasn't me, it wasn't my day. I'm I'm well aware of, of all of those things. I, I'll just share with you, when I talk about this game has rules, right? When you're going to be a, de a delusion, but sometimes you got to. There's a fine line in genius and insanity. And some of these athletes that have these crazy dreams, for them to become a reality, right? You would have got laughed at. Look at LeBron. If LeBron would have told you in fifth grade, what he was going to go on to do and achieve and win and be recognized, if he was to tell you in fifth grade, they would have told him he was crazy. They would have laughed at him. Likely he did tell someone and likely they did laugh at him. And I, I only offer you this as an example because that is a built-in piece. You, you're going to have delusion. You're going to have some craziness. When I talk about rules, Charles has to be able to go further and say, wasn't my night. I was sick. In the back, by example. It wasn't my night. I had a family tragedy that I've never spoke about, just by example. It wasn't my night. But then you'd fill in the blanks. Even things that people have been teased for. I used Paulo Costa. He couldn't sleep and he had some wine. Still didn't sleep, so he had even more wine. And if you want to give him a hard time for that, fair enough. But 
he's now identified what the problem was, and he believes that he would have a different match had he not had the bad night of sleep followed by self-induced wine. It's very relevant. Whether you want to give a hard time to that or not, it's relevant that that exists. Charles Oliver doesn't have that. He didn't follow the rules. He didn't follow the rules to the game. The rules to the game of acceptable delusion, of blocking what's in your bubble as a form of mental toughness. You know how hard that is to do? You know how hard that is to do to take a piece of reality that happened and even damaged you, even if emotionally, and, and block it out that it didn't happen? You know the mental skill that that requires? But there's rules to it. And Charles has not offered or followed those rules. Charles excuse if I had an off night. It's a very true thing, man. So, some nights, you guys hear about adrenaline dump and some of these other things, but nobody takes the time to explain to you what they actually mean. There's a truth to it, but when Charles says, give me a rematch, I had an off night. When he doesn't offer the next step, it also comes with an inference that Islam didn't. Th that's the problem with the thinking is there's a built-in now belief that Islam did not have a bad night. You felt bad, your arm hurt. But now there's a belief that the guy that beat you's arm did not hurt. And I've, I've never known of anyone to go into a fight feeling great. I've never heard of anybody going into a title fight or a championship match feeling great. I just haven't heard of it. I know when I watch sport that is done in a competitive architecture such as a bracket, and that could be anything. That could be high school sport, that could be NCAA, that could be the Olympic, but I know when the gold medal, when the championship match rolls around, before the athletes walk out there, for whatever the sport is, if you watch them, they got ice on their knee. They got tape on their fingers. They got a coach rubbing something out. They don't feel good. Nobody feels good. So when you imply, I didn't feel good, you're trying to say that he did. And I, I just I just share with you, that therein lies the problem. Charles had an off night. That's a real thing. Islam's going to hear that go, man, that's a real thing. I'm probably going to have to deal with another Charles. Unless Islam knows, you had an off night. My God, I wasn't even supposed to be out there. And there's, there's rules to the delusion. What is going to be different this time? What is going to be different next time? What did I learn from that? How am I going to cure that? What have I corrected? What have I changed? Like These things are really important to know and have and understand. And when Charles chose to go the route of blocking reality from his bubble, he didn't offer enough. Right? Because don't, don't forget, guys, when, when you do these lies, lies, lies is a terrible word, but when you do these lies, it doesn't matter if you fool me. Doesn't matter if it fools you. Doesn't matter if it fools your opponent, your coaches, Dana White himself. When you tell the lie, you have to believe it. If Charles is going to go out there and deal with Islam and flip a script that was so drastically against him, nothing, nothing about that match was competitive. If he's going to do that, he has to convince himself that something's different. And if he doesn't have new partners, if he's not running faster times, if he's not lifting heavier weights, if he knows in his heart there is nothing different, then he has to convince himself that that night 
was off, and here's why. That's the rule to this game. And Charles didn't follow the rules. Bangarouche versus Charles Oliveira, guys. Official prediction. I officially predict that we have not heard the last of this fight. I officially predict that. I officially predict the X's and O's are not overly close. I officially predict Charles Oliveira does not win a round. I'm not looking to be a jerk. I think Oliveira is just a wonderful fighter. This, this, is, this is another category. There are many fighters, I'll use Dan Hooker just as an example, that believe Benny DeRouche is going to beat Islam. Dan Hooker's been in there with both of them, right? I mean, if, there's, if there's anyone that has a right to an opinion, Hooker used to be ranked fifth in that weight class. I'm offering for you, if that's true, if Benny's as good as people say he is, right? And we never know. That's why we have to go do the fight. But, but, but if he is, Islam versus Charles was not competitive. Not, not remotely competitive. It was uncompetitive to the point that I don't believe this is a number one contenders match. I know that you do. And I know that members of the media have told you it is. But I don't believe the members of the media were told that it is. I think it's just something they started saying. There are things that I missed that that might be one of them. But that would have had to have been said in a vacuum underneath a rock in the dark of night once. I mean, for me to have missed it, it would have had to have been whispered in the lightest of tone once. Many, many months ago. Because I can think of the other quotes. I can think of the other press conferences, and I can think of the other commitments that all said, if Benny wins, Benny will fight for the belt. I have never heard it said this is the number one contenders match. And it's a point that I'm only bringing to you, right? If Charles beat Benny, he'd be a great candidate to go in and fight for the title. I'm not disagreeing. I just believe that would then go into the category of conversation, right? When you get those matchmakers, you got a conversation. Two, three guys, something like that. If you've got one guy, like say we do with Aldana versus Amanda, you have a division nobody cares about. It's it's a very bad thing when you're going into a title fight. You got one person over here. Oh, this is this is the person. That's not good. It's a it's a good thing. 155 is a very healthy division when you have multiple people. And I do believe that if Charles wins, he goes into the category of names to be considered and discussed for Islam. I don't think it's a lock. And you want to know why it's not a lock? Because the first fight was so uncompetitive. There was nothing about it that calls for a rematch. Nothing. It wasn't a surprise ending when Charles tapped out. Charles has tapped out eight other times just in the UFC. Like, it just wasn't a surprise. A lot of times a guy gets finished right, the Buster Douglas, Mike ties, you go, okay, he caught him, redo it. It's, it's one of those things. That's not what this was. There, there was nothing unusual about seeing a guy who's tapped eight times tap again. There was no wrestling going his way. There was no conditioning. There was no pace. It didn't look like he wanted it more. It didn't like there was will, grit, understanding. I mean, and I'm reaching, right? I'm reaching. When I get out of the left hand and the right hand and the southpaw versus orthodox, I'm now reaching. With the reach, there was still nothing that calls for a rematch. And you would do one if you were just simply out of bodies. We've seen rematches where they're just simply out of bodies. 
And I don't think that's what we have here. And you know why I bring that up? I don't bring that up at all to be a jerk. Like, like what I just said, while not flattering towards Charles, does not affect their match at all. At all. My opinion or this piece or our comment section is not going to change at all the competition between those two. I, I, I just want to offer you where I'm coming to this conclusion from. So just to speak on my initial premise to you, as far as the prediction for the fight, I'm predicting we're not done hearing about the fight. I believe when this fight is over, there's a strong chance that the discussion really just begins. Because of the misconception by the MMA media who has told you guys what I believe falsely that this is a number one contenders match. I just don't think that that was said. I just don't. I think what Gaethje said has a lot of legs to it. Oliveira wins, so it's going to void that match completely of number one contendership, and then they're going to look to the Poirier-Gaethje match. And for the way that Gaethje told the story specifically if he wins, look, I, I don't want to jump in too many different categories for you here. I just think that you're in a unique situation because you have a champion who is unemployed, who is sitting on the top of the bill, in a coveted destination known as Fight Island. That's relevant. A lot of times you have a fight, and then we think. We talk. We sit. We fly back home. We get together somewhere midweek. We have a few more meetings about meetings, and we talk a few more times about talking, and then we discuss a couple times about discussing, and right, it's, it's, I don't think that's the spot that you're in. I think we got to move pretty quick here. You have Islam, who is your world champion. He's unemployed. Doesn't have a job. He needs a job. So I think that they're going to move it along a little bit quicker. And I'll share with you, Benny appears to be in a, a, a very good frame of mind. He appears to be very matter-of-fact. Benny made a statement. It was a real simple one. But he said, anything that Islam can do, I can do better. Now, I like that. I like when a guy overlooks what he's got at hand. Other people will tell you that's terrible. It's the worst thing you can do is overlook an opponent. I don't agree. Now, I'm personalizing, but if I ever focused on a guy, it was a problem. If I could look right past him and think about what was next, I personally had trouble in my career in the championship match. And it, it didn't really matter what the championship was for, how small the event or, or how big the event is. That match was always a problem for me, not the guy, not the opponent. It was that round. You want to know why? It was just from a psychological standpoint that there was nothing to look past. I would approach each contest looking past this guy. Semi-final round was my greatest round. You don't want to run into me in the semis. I was making it to the championship match, for sure. Because I was looking past it. I've just offered for you. I like that Benny's doing that. I like that Benny is looking at Islam. If Benny is at all correct and he has the skills to take off Islam, he's not going to have an overly hard time with Charles. And Charles went as far as to say, and not one single step further, that he's never rewatched his match with Islam because that simply wasn't him. He wasn't in there. I would buy that if it were true. I would buy that if Charles believed that that were true. But the fact that we're told Charles was offered a rematch with Islam and turned it down lets us know that at least in that moment, that wasn't the case. Now, we're all great with history at rewriting it after the fact. 
So there's nothing wrong with what Oliveira is saying. You've got to make a case for it. You've got to put, you, you got to make your stand somewhere. You've got to be careful what you let into your bubble. I, I don't have any problem with any of it. I'm just sharing with you as an outsider looking in. I don't believe it, and I also don't believe that he believes it. And it puts you in a very interesting spot. Based on everything we know, we really only know one thing. Charles has made it very clear he does not want to fight Islam. Charles didn't want to fight Islam the first time because of the location, just to remind you. They thought the location was a problem that it was Fight Island. That fight is returning to Fight Island. There's every little sprinkle and every little dash in this fight that are things Charles doesn't want. So how do you get the motivation? How do you get the motivation to beat Benny, who's a favorite over you? It's going to take a lot to beat him. When your reward is a match with a guy you don't want to fight. I can feel my blood boiling and I really don't enjoy that. I don't I really don't enjoy red face vein popping out chael as much as you might think that I do. But there are some things I've heard kids call them triggers before. There's some things that you hear that just get you going and it's hard to come down from it. I've been asked and I've sidestepped giving a prediction or even a breakdown or even a thought about Amanda's upcoming fight. With Aldana, I've, I, I, have, I don't believe I've ever done it. If I did do it, it was begrudgingly and I didn't put my best effort in it. And that would be evident of the fact that I don't even remember doing it. I don't think I did. The reason I don't do it is I get so pissed off when I even think about the division. There has to be some level of, if you guys don't care, quit forcing me to watch it. I mean, there, there has to be an element of that. I come from a big fan of amateur sport. I watch, uh, well, wrestling would be a, a fine example. It's all, all amateur, right? There's no professional level. But I don't remember a wrestling event, and I do mean ever, where when I looked forward to it and when I counted it down and when I knew it was coming, right? We used to have something called the USSRs before the breakup of the Soviet Union. Well, you might not even know what the Soviet Union is. Before Russia was Russia... And we used to have dual meets where the USSR would come over and they would take on the Americans. I mean, it was a really special thing. We didn't do a lot of them, but they were awesome for me, who's a wrestling fan. And I only would use that as an example because of all the other wrestling shows that I've ever watched, Flo, Rudis, USAW versus USSR. It's wrestling. They advertise wrestling. There's not a whole lot of fans. There's there's me and then a few other people are going to be in the crowd. It's not great business. It's why it's not done all of that often. But we're there for wrestling. That's not a disguise. They force us 100% of the time to watch something else. It never fails. You tune in to watch wrestling. It's supposed to start at 3 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock. And they bring out the local neighborhood dancing with batons. and It's not wrestling. They bring you something else, and you have to watch it. I was in an event live. Well-known tournament. Henry DeGlon Challenge. It wasn't, even, it wasn't advertised to the world. It was just a house show. It was whoever was there. And the only people there for the finals were fellow competitors who had been eliminated and who aren't in the finals. That's it. There was no one else there. When the main finals start, 
Sure, they bring it. There's like 11 year old girls, and there was something about a dragon. Like they were dressed in this costume that I trust they made. And it was this long dragon tail, and it took like 10 of them to hold it up. It was breathed fire. It wasn't the world's worst show. It's, why do I have to watch it? It was never discussed. When I came here tonight, there was no discussion. This isn't a treat. This isn't an added bonus. If it was, I would have known it was going to happen. If you had something that was part of your show that was a bonus, you would have advertised it. You would have attempted to market and promote it and sell tickets due to it. But any wrestling event, you, you've got to watch this other crap. And I, I, I bring it to you because there was talk of selling the 125-pound men's division. There was talk of that. We all believe, in fact, that those rumors are true. Uh, nobody's denied them on either side. The one that was rumored to purchase it or the one that was rumored to be selling it. And one guy came forward, and only one, one guy stepped up and said, no. We can be interesting. We can be different. This division matters, and I'm willing to defend it. And that was Henry Cejudo. That is also the only person that was under contract back at the time that I'm telling you it was discussed being sold. That is the only person who is still under contract, not to mention championship level in a main eventer. He's the only guy. So for all the rest of them that were here that didn't step forward, that didn't care, or didn't know how to show they care, didn't have any ability to do anything, they're all gone, and they should be. They're going to sell your division, and you don't do anything to stop it. You should not be here. And none of them are. So now I'm getting asked to speak about Amanda's division. And I can't do it without getting pissed off. Because she's got two titles. Which means not only do we have a division that needs to care, we have two. We have, we, we have whatever this number is of support of fans, of participants, of trainers, of coaches, of moms, dads, brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, school, classmates, times two. Whatever this is, times two. And I have never seen anyone in either of those two divisions call Amanda out. There's not a single competitor who has called dibs, if you will, on the winner of Aldona versus Amanda. There's not a single match that's happened, is signed to have happened, or we could speculate is going to happen, where the contestants within that match have come out and told the media this is the number one contenders match. Hey, if I win this match... If I win this one, that's it. That's enough, and I'm fighting her. And you know what? If any of them said that, they would get the fight. And that isn't some breaking news by Chael. This actually precedes Amanda and goes back to Chris Cyborg. If you wanted to be the opponent for a world title fight, you had to be able to raise your hand and fog a mirror. That was it. There was no other requirement. You do not have to have a winning record. You didn't even have to be in the organization. They'd sign you and bring you in. You didn't even have to have won your last fight. Could you say with a lovely straight face, I want to do it, I think I have a chance, and then could you prove that you were alive? Then you got the fight. I'm not breaking news to you. This isn't a situation where the girls at 35 and 45 don't know, they all know it. That's why they don't do it. 
That's my point. They don't say they want to fight Amanda because they know that would get them to fight with Amanda. So you, you end up in the situation of why do I have to watch this? Why are you forcing me to watch it? They don't care. Much like the 25-pounders, they had one guy step forward and say it mattered. All the rest of them are gone, but they should be, right? You would understand that. You would understand why we, we, we can't, can't have you here anymore. So now we've got women at 45 and 35, and they haven't called for it. You want to know what else? You want to know what else really gets me worked up, right? It's the cowardliness within the division. And nobody ever wants to take it on because it's the women's division. I, I'm not a whole lot different, quite frankly. But since I know that my producer, Ryan, is going to title this with something to do with the women's title fight, I know nobody's going to see this anyway. I'm over here largely wasting my breath. And it's a very interesting spot when I talk about the cowardliness because if Amanda goes down, you can bet your ass on Monday you're going to have a whole bunch of girls that found their courage. You're going to have girls at 45 and 35 that went and saw the scarecrow, right? Believe me when I tell you. Where are they now? They're quiet. They don't think Aldana's going to win. They believe Amanda's going to win. They don't want to fight Amanda. None of them. In two different divisions. This isn't new, by the way. By the way, if your name is not Juliana Pena, you, you are not safe from any of the critique that I'm giving. But you're also not just in a division where you reluctantly could find yourself in a title fight. You're in a position where you reluctantly could find yourself in a title fight at the top of the bill that we're all going to be forced to watch. I don't want to see somebody fight that doesn't want to fight. For me, that's gross. I can remember being a little kid and two people are screaming and, and you got the crowd and they're there pushing and one guy doesn't want to go out there. That's gross. The women have made it massively clear they don't want to do this. And more frustratingly, if Aldana gets the jump on her, they're all going to be coming out. Well, where are you girls at today? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to ask all of you to please do me a favor by following this podcast on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, guys, and come back on Tuesday to hear me break it all down. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.